This morning we are going to be looking uh, at a passage that is very familiar to uh, probably all of us, but a passage that we, most of us will probably read in our homes tomorrow. But before we go there, I want you to kind of make sure that you have kind of been along with us on this journey through Advent and kind of have, have seen where we're going and kind of how all of this uh, works. If you have uh, not noticed, uh, the uh, title of this series has been Promises Made and Promises Kept. And each week we have talked about a different promise that was made. And so I want to walk through those promises just real quickly to kind of remind you of where we have been. Uh, we started off the first week with the promise of a king. And in, those, uh, in that passage, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 33. And uh, in that, uh, kind of some basic verses that really just remind us of this promise of a king goes down to verses uh, 15 and 16. It said, in those days at the time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David. If you remember, we talked about him looking out and seeing the stump seeing that branch coming out of it, he will administer justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is what she will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. And so that was part of that Jeremiah passage. And one of the verses in that chapter that we didn't read that I think speaks very well uh, to what is going on and the promises that God has made for his people, go back into verse six, it says, yet... I will certainly bring health and healing to it and will indeed heal them. I will let them experience the abundance of true peace. And these are promises that God made of a king, a king that will bring peace, a king that will bring new life to the people. So that was the first week we talked about with the promise of a king. The second week was the promise of comfort, and we looked at Isaiah chapter 40. And in this, uh, we talked a little bit about John the Baptist and how he announced the coming of the Christ. But if you remember, we read these words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over, her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make, straight, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be filled up, every mountain and hill will be leveled, and the uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all humanity together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And here we see the promise of a new day of God, the promise of what I, the language I used that week was kind of the leveling operation of God, of God coming in and speaking but it is a promise of comfort in Isaiah. And then last week, Pastor Arnie was, was with us, and if, we, if I would have preached uh, what I would have preached, I'll give you that sermon in 45 seconds, I would have preached from Ezra uh, the promise of presence. If you go back and you read the book of Ezra, which I'm sure most of you did this morning, but in the book of Ezra, uh, King Cyrus has promised to rebuild the temple. And so Cyrus makes this promise, and he, all, he has an order to rebuild the temple. And then we get to chapter 3 of Ezra, and the foundations have been laid. And there are these incredible statements made there in Ezra chapter 3. He says, They sang with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love to Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. 
But many of the older priests, Levites, and family heads who had seen the first temple wept loudly when they saw the foundation of this temple, but many others shouted joyfully. The people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shouting from that of weeping because the people were shouting so loudly and the sound was heard far away. So these verses uh, are verses that promise God's presence. It's a reminder to the people that God is present there and in their world was present uh, in the temple in a way that he was not present anywhere else in the world. And we see there that as they, made, as they laid those foundations, that the people shouted and, and joyfully shouted and wept because they were reminded and they knew that God was present with them. So these are the promises that we have seen, a promise of a king, the promise of comfort, the promise of God's presence. So this morning, as we wrap up our Advent series, the question really is, does God keep his promises? Has God kept the promise of a king? Has God kept the promise of bringing comfort? Has God kept the promise of his presence? And it's in these questions, it's in the midst of this, that we turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 2 to read the answer that Luke gives us. It says in Luke chapter 2, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This was the first registration took place when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in the manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared before us, and the glory of God was all around us, and we were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news 
that will bring great joy to all people. For to you this day, in the town of David, a Savior is born, Messiah, the Christ, the Christ. We were amazed. Where will we find this child? You'll find him lying in a manger wrapped in cloth. And, and at that moment, suddenly, the whole sky was filled with angels that were praising God and saying, glory, glory to God, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. And just as quickly as they came, they were gone. And we began to talk between each other. Let's go see this, of which we've been told. And we did. And we hurried into that little town, and we looked all over. Till finally we saw Mary and Joseph and that precious baby. Wrapped in claws just like we were told. We bowed down and we worshiped. And we gave praise unto God. Messiah has come. The long-awaited Messiah. We stayed there a while and we worshiped and we praised God. And then when we left, we began to tell everybody about everything we've seen and heard. And everyone was amazed. Glory! Give glory to God. The Messiah has come. He's come. The Lord has come. Praise him. Give praise unto God. Amen. So let's look. Uh, just a uh, couple verses that the shepherd mentioned uh, and told us about this morning. I want to talk about those verses. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. These are some of the words that the angel spoke to them that night. It said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. A Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. These words are words that we know. These words are words that were proclaimed to those shepherds that evening. But these words also tie us into where we're going in Mark's gospel. Because there's a word here, I've highlighted it for you to make sure that you don't miss it. But there is a word that the angels used that night. Y'all heard me talk about it a little bit, and we're going to spend pretty much all of next week talking about this one word. But in Greek, the word is euangelion. We translate it as good news. Sometimes, as we see in Mark's gospel, we translate it as gospel. Next week, we're going to be Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is what Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says. In the beginning of the what? The gospel, the good news, the euangelion. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This was good news. This was good news. It was being proclaimed, and it was good news because we understand that God has kept 
his promises. The promise of a king. The promise of his presence. The promise of his comfort. The promise that in all of these moments that God is there. The good news is something that we have rearranged our lives around. And I want you all to hear this morning. This is just a little bit of where we're going to be going. And I will, I'll tell you this. I'll go ahead and tell you this. Spoiler alert for between now and Easter. I will argue next week that Mark takes his entire gospel. He starts off right here. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He then spends the rest 16 chapters telling us what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And we're going to spend those 16 chapters walking through those, talking about what that is. So today I want to give you just a little bit, a little bit of a preview. We're going to come back to this, but a little bit of what is, what is this good news we're talking about? What is this good news that the angels were proclaiming? What is this good news that the gospel writers were proclaiming to us? The good news being proclaimed to us is that God was fulfilling his plan to save the world. He's fulfilling his plan to save us. He's fulfilling his plan, his promises that he made. We also know that the good news is, is that in this good news, that there is a center of that good news. And the center of the good news is what? It's Jesus. Jesus was at the center of this rescue mission to restore and to give life to his people. He's at the very center of what he is doing. So, we have the good news, but is that where we end? I want you to look at one more verse, and I've changed our translation to King James because King James just does a little bit better here. As she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And here is the famous line that we all know that's such an important line when we talk about the Christmas story. Here's the line. Why did she lay him in a manger? Because there was no room. Because there was no room for them in the end. My question to you this morning and my question on this Christmas Eve is pretty simple. Do you have room for the good news that Christ has come? In our lives, do we have room for the proclamation of the angel that night to the shepherds? Do we have room for what God wants to do in the fullness of the city that night, in the reconnecting of families coming together, reconnecting those relationships, in the laughter of the children as they came back with their cousins? Do you have room? We also know in the loneliness of that night, in the hurt of what Mary and Joseph being alone in that stable, do you have room? I've told a few of you this week, and I told Connie and Grant and Kayla about it the other day, this year is a different year for my sisters and I. When my dad passed away in 1989, it was December the 16th, and it was a Saturday. And every six or seven years, the same thing transpires. 
that December 16th falls on a Saturday. And it's a little bit different for us because on those years, we play out this week in the same way that we played it out in 1989. That on Tuesday, I think about tonight was visitation. On Wednesday, I think about today was my dad's funeral. That I can remember being in the hospital room on that Saturday and my mom saying to my sisters and I, don't come up here tomorrow, you need to be in church tomorrow. I can remember all of those little things, all of those things that took place and how they laid out, getting together with our family and knowing that my mom was still in the hospital and my dad wasn't with us, all of that hurt plays out. And I know, I know that when the Christmas season comes that there's all of those things that come together for us. All of those pieces for so many of us that come together, that there is joy, that there is hope, but there's also memory and loss and pain. And my question to you this morning is, do we open up our lives to make room for a Christ that wants to be a part? that wants to bring his comfort, that wants to bring his presence, that wants to bring his kingship? Do we open up our hearts to hear from a Christ who says, I want to be a part of your life? This morning, my hope and my prayer is that this Christmas that we make room for that Christ, for the good news the good news of a God who is coming, the good news for a God who is saving, the good news of a God who comes into our lives to bring life, to bring hope, to bring his presence. And as we walk through Mark this year, I hope that you see how that plays out. What does it mean for Christ to be the king of our lives? What does it mean for him to be a presence in our lives? What does it mean for him to bring us comfort? But I want you to know that the announcement that Christmas morning is the same announcement we hear. Good news. Christ is here and Christ is with us. Let us pray. Lord, today as we come, we come on this Christmas Eve and we thank you for your promise of presence. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you for the incredible announcement as we have heard from one of the shepherds. Fear not. Fear not, for I bring you the gospel, the good news of a God who has come to earth, the good news of a God who seeks relationship, the good news of a God who is king. And Lord, this morning, may we hear that good news May we listen to that good news, and Lord, may that good news transform our lives. Lord, today, we pray that you come in the way that you did the first time, in your beauty and grace. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your holy name.